Welcome to the Classroom Commute Podcast, a podcast for elementary teachers who want to feel inspired each week on your ride into school. I'm your host, Rachel, and my goal is to give you simple and actionable 21st century teaching strategies that you can take into your classroom to spark the love of learning in your students. You are already amazing, and together we're going places. Thanks for taking me along for the ride. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Classroom Commute Podcast. If you are just joining us for the first time today, you're kind of jumping in on a series of podcasts that we've been doing as we explore what it means to be a 21st century classroom. So I will link to some episodes that we've done in the past few weeks all about this and around this topic so that you can kind of catch up to speed because there's a lot that we've been unpacking over the past couple of weeks. We've talked about how a 21st century classroom includes creating a collaborative and creative environment and how it includes encourages students to reflect on their learning. We also talked about how a 21st century classroom kind of takes the focus away from a teacher-driven learning approach and puts students in the center of discovering and exploring their own knowledge. And, you know, as we dove into that and what it all meant to be a 21st century classroom, we talked about how technology and multimedia play a huge role in today's classroom. There's no denying it, and so we can't ignore it. And last week, we really unpacked the research and what it said about multimedia instruction. So if you did miss that episode in particular, I would definitely go back and listen to that one before you continue on to today's episode. You don't need to get caught up on all of the episodes kind of around this mini series on 21st century teaching, but I would recommend that you check out that episode. We will link to it in the show notes. In that first episode, the one I just mentioned, we really laid the groundwork for what effective multimedia instruction looks like, as well as how the brain processes multimedia and the positive impact it has on long-term learning. It was a little bit of a science lesson, but hopefully I gave you all the good stuff so you could take away some little nuggets into your classroom. So I would definitely encourage you to listen to that episode. But as a quick recap, here's what we learned about effective multimedia instruction. We learned that not all multimedia is created equal, and if it is done incorrectly, it could lead to brain processing overload. We all know how that feels, and it's not good. It's that whole too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing, right? So with that said, the research that I uncovered last week gave us some guidelines on what effective multimedia looks like so that we can avoid the brain processing overload and we can use multimedia to our advantage. And here's what we learned, and I cover a lot of this more in depth in last week's episode, but here's what we learned. We learned that words and pictures are better than just words alone. So when you combine words, when you have pictures to back up and support what they are reading or hearing, it's better than just having the words alone. We also know that multimedia learning is more effective when it is interactive and it's under the control of the learner. So your students are getting their hands involved. They're getting to kind of control the learning process. We also learned that multimedia instruction includes animated features, things like an animated video or other moving objects on a screen. And all of those animations can improve learning. We also learned that multimedia is most effective when the content and the format actively engages the learner and makes them feel a part of the process. This is things like when you have some character on the screen talking directly to the learner. That's actively engaging them. It makes it feel conversational and the students are more drawn in to their learning experience. Multimedia is most effective when the learner can apply their newly acquired knowledge in a timely manner and receive feedback. 
And finally, multimedia is most effective when the same information is presented more than once in a variety of ways. So whether that's print or audio or video or any other visual, this gives students the opportunity to see and understand new information from a variety of angles. So what I'd like to do today is take what we know about effective multimedia instruction and apply it to the classroom because that's what really we want to do here. We don't want to just have this knowledge floating around in our head. We want to know what can we do with this information and how can we use it to benefit our students. So when I think about my own experience in the classroom as a teacher and now as a curriculum writer of resources for other teachers, I have to be honest, I really wasn't thinking about if what I was teaching or what I was creating for other teachers was brain-based research. I know I should have been, but I wasn't. And I wasn't thinking about words like multimedia or working memory versus short-term memory or multiple intelligence and all of these things we talked about last week. I wasn't thinking about it. Instead, I had thoughts like, oh my gosh, how cool is this science video? Or this clip art and this photograph, it's perfect for this topic. The students are going to love it. Or yes, I finally figured out how to provide audio support. Or whoa, I can create a drag and drop activity inside of a linktivity. All of those things were the things that really got me excited when I was originally creating resources for both my own students and for other teachers and their students. But When I started to see how successful some resources were with students over other resources or how some activities really sparked real learning while others fell flat, this is when I became obsessed with learning about what exactly it was about certain resources that had such a huge impact on students. So that's when I dug into the research. And the more I became involved in creating resources like Linktivities, the more I wanted to know why they were so effective with students. So like I said, that's when I really dug into the research and much of that research I've already shared with you in some of the past few episodes. But in hindsight, I realized I kind of went about this whole creating resources and putting things out there into the world for teachers to use. I kind of went about it backwards. I created first and then I researched. And what I've learned, I guess, through trial and error, which is a lot of what a lot of us teachers do, we find what works and we find what doesn't. But what I've learned through this trial and error is that it was the multimedia and it was the interactive style activities that really had the biggest impact on student learning. It was not the textbook reading or the worksheet style activities or the more traditional methods of teaching that got students really excited about learning. And I know that not everything can have all the bells and whistles, but What it does mean is that when we really want to make an impact, when we really want to reach that struggling learner, we've got to kind of go the extra mile. We've got to create those engaging experiences and multimedia interactive style activities allow us to do that easier. I can remember actually feeling bad when I would ask my students to open up their textbook and read page A through page C and then answer the questions at the end of the chapter. But unfortunately, those are the only resources I had and that was all that was available to me. So over time, I would try out different ways to make learning more fun. I kind of used what I had and created what I thought would work and I would try it out with my students. I would start by having them read with a partner. That would usually get a few more smiles from my students rather than just reading the textbook by themselves or even as a whole class. And, you know, then I would start assigning students different sections of the textbook and they would become quote unquote experts and maybe they would create a poster about their section from the textbook to present to the group. Okay, I would get a few more smiles, a little more interaction, a little more creativity. 
And sometimes I would take the textbook myself and create what I called discovery learning folders. And I'll link to a collection of discovery learning folders that I've created so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. But it basically took the same information that was in the textbook. So I wasn't reinventing the wheel, but it would break the topic down. So a larger chapter, for example, it would break it down into smaller chunks. And I would add a whole lot more visuals, a whole lot more graphics and charts and things that would make the information from the textbook more interesting to look at. And then students would rotate through these folders and they would just take in a little information at a time. Remember, a few episodes ago, we talked about how breaking information up into chunks really helps students succeed. And also remember how pictures and words together, they make for better learning. So that's kind of my whole thinking behind the discovery learning folders. It broke the information up. It gave them a whole lot more visuals to kind of match what they were reading. And they were working together in groups so that it was more interactive. And then I started adding things like speech bubbles where there were characters on the page talking to the students who are reading off the folder. So there's that whole engaging the reader into the process, making it more conversational. Anything I could do to take what they needed to learn and make it so that it wasn't just written out in a textbook type style paragraph, breaking it up putting it in speech bubbles, adding a character to be telling them the information, it all led to more engagement. And then after a few more years of teaching under my belt, I got a little bit more brave and I would sometimes have students take what they were learning from a textbook and create PowerPoint presentations. When I first started teaching, PowerPoint was like the thing and so I tried to use it in my classroom. So you can kind of see how the multimedia aspect of learning was starting to creep in a little bit more. So we started with a textbook and now we're working our way out of the textbook and into PowerPoint, digital resources. And what I would do is I would create a template in PowerPoint so that they would then use that template to create their slideshow on whatever topic it was. Then fast forward a few more years and I was out of the classroom for the first time, but I was still working with teachers. I was still creating resources. And one teacher asked me, hey, we're, you know, we're teaching the U.S. regions next month and the textbook is super dry. We would love to have an interactive way for students to learn about each region of the United States. Do you think you could create a PowerPoint presentation about it? And lo and behold, the Linktivity was born. Now, it wasn't called Linktivity back then. It wasn't really even called anything other than here's a PowerPoint presentation on the U.S. regions. But it was really the very beginnings of what a Linktivity is today. And at first, they were very basic. It was just text and images. And essentially, it was advancing from one slide to the next. And that's how I created them for a while. And then people started asking me to put them in Google Slides. So I did. And then Google Slides gave us the option to add audio. So I started adding audio so that the text could be read to students. Then I started adding kid-friendly YouTube videos. And when I couldn't find a video that would really match exactly what I wanted, I started creating my own. Then I found a software program, the program that I'm currently using right now to create Linktivities that not only allowed me to add video, but also to now include things like drag and drag digital activities so that students can manipulate the screen and move things around and have that immediate practice of whatever skill they were working on. What I'm saying is with each step of the way, everything that I've just described to you, the resources evolved and as they evolved, they included more interaction, more engagement, more 21st century best practices. And I know for myself, I'm just getting started. I am nowhere near where I want to be. I can't even imagine what Linktivities will look like in, say, 10 more years. 
It's so funny when we take the time to look at the evolution of our own teaching. And I know some of you have been in the classroom for 15, 20, 25 years or more. How has your teaching practices and resources changed? Do you ever come across a resource that you started using, you know, your early years of teaching and it just makes you cringe that you actually use that resource? Yeah, I come across those resources all the time. And that's okay. We're always evolving. We're learning new things. And as we learn new things, we can change the way that we present information to students. Now, this brings our conversation full circle because I started by saying that when I began creating resources, either for my own students or for other teachers and their students, it didn't necessarily stem from wanting to create this multimedia learning experience. But as I tried new things and tested out new types of activities, it just kind of was an organic, natural process that I learned that those activities that had the multimedia interactions were the activities that my students loved and it made them love learning more and more. So I guess we could just say it was a happy coincidence that what I simply saw as cool and fun was actually supported by research. I just didn't know it at the time. But now looking back, it all makes sense. And as I sit here today talking to you about what I've learned from my research and my experiences has made me even more excited and more passionate about creating multimedia learning resources that meet the needs of a 21st century classroom. Because I learned that that science video that I thought was cool wasn't just cool. And that that clip art or those old photographs of the Civil War weren't just perfect for the activity. And having audio support wasn't just a neat feature. And the ability for students to touch and move and manipulate their screen wasn't just fun. In fact, it was putting all of those elements together in one multimedia media package was what made learning stick. So we learned that combining videos and images and text and audio and kinesthetic learning, all of it was what made students' brains absorb and learn and retain information. Multimedia learning allows our brains to process the information more effectively and it moves new information from working memory to long-term memory. And that is the goal. In short, it works. Learning experiences that are interactive, self-paced, chunked into sections, result in real learning. Multimedia learning reaches the greatest number of students and supports students with diverse learning needs. So I ask, how can you sneak in a little more multimedia learning experiences in with your students. You do not have to do it all at once. In fact, the process that I just described to you in my own experience and evolving from using just the textbook towards more interactive learning experience was the evolution of over 15 years in and out of the classroom. So think about that. Start simple. Start by including a video the next time you introduce a new topic and then talk about that video because now they've seen it and now you're talking about it and they're hearing it. You're giving them multiple ways to consume new information. Or start by recording yourself reading text on a Google slide and inserting that audio to help support a struggling reader. Start by having students listen to podcasts during a listening center while they doodle what they're listening or they use a response sheet of some sort to show what they've learned. And when you get a little braver, you can start having students create their own podcasts. And I'll link to an episode I did a few episodes back about what that might look like in your classroom. And if you want a complete done-for-you multimedia eduventure, then you know I've got your back with Linktivity Interactive Learning Guides. This research and everything that I've shared with you in the past couple episodes is what fuels the creation process when I go to create a new Linktivity. What started out as a happy coincidence works for a reason. So if you want to get your hands on more Linktivity Interactive Learning Guides, 
Learning guides that take a topic and present it in a multimedia format and lets the students truly explore a topic at their own pace, in their own control, then I want to invite you to take a look at the Linktivity Learning Membership. It is an all-access pass membership to every Linktivity that I've created and every Linktivity that will be created in the future. And like I said, inside the membership, teachers get access to my entire library of Linktivities and they get it for one low monthly or annual price. And right now, it's the only place where you're getting all of my newest Linktivities. I'm putting them exclusively inside the membership. So if you want to learn more about Linktivities and the Linktivity Learning Membership, head over to classroomnook.com forward slash Linktivity, and we will link it in the show notes as well so you can get all the information that you need today. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today and letting me indulge a little bit into the research and share with you what has been kind of fueling my passion for the past few years, and I am excited to continue to support you. I hope you have a great rest of the day and a good start to your week. And I'll be back again next week with another episode. Bye for now.